0: As a reminder, we've got those communication cards in the rack in front of you. Please don't forget to fill that out for you and your family, especially if any of your information has changed. Or if you're visiting with us today for the first time, we have a gift we want to give you after the service right there at that cart inside the lobby. Uh, Just our way of saying thank you for visiting us today. So just fill out that communication card, take it to that cart in the lobby, and first-time visitors will get you a gift. And uh, everyone else, remember the back of that card is blank. If you have any prayer requests or praises, just put that on the back of your card. And you can just leave it on your chair before you leave today. And we'll make sure that that's one of our priorities for prayer tomorrow night when we come together to pray well Christine this past week pulled out an old photo album and she showed me some pictures that I don't think I had seen in years pictures of our very first Sunday 20 years ago here at First Christian Church when I had just been hired to be the pastor it was July 11th 1999 I've just got to ask how many of you were not alive in 1999 Okay, a good chunk of the room. And so as she came across these photos, we're going to put a few on the screen here for you. Some of you may remember, go and drop the lights, because a 20-year-old photo sometimes doesn't show up too well on the screen. There I am looking like a shiny new penny to the left side of our sign. Some of you remember our triangular sign out front on the other side of the parking lot. I used to have these tracks on it. Where you would slide in letters and numbers each week to change the marquee. And so that was the front of the sign with George Boulevard on my left, uh, advertising when our worship service times were. And so we had volunteers, sometimes it was me, that would have to duck underneath that sign where we stored all those letters and numbers and slide into the track what was happening that week. And on the back side of that triangular sign, here's Christine in this next picture. Isn't she lovely? Wearing her her blue dress on our first Sunday here, and that was the first sermon that I ever preached as pastor of First Christian Church. God in a box. God in a box. My girls asked me last night if I was going to cry today, and I said, I don't think so, but I don't know for sure until I get up there. And so I'll try not to cry while I'm up here today. But that just brought back the memories, and there on that first Sunday, July 11, 1999, Christine and I took a photo inside this very room behind the pulpit. It's this next photo on the screen. And there we were, smiling ear to ear, excited about the new adventure that God had for us at this church. And I've got to say that day, July 11, 1999, was one of the best days of my life. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we pray, O God, that you would speak to us today as we open your word, as we close a very important chapter in the life of First Christian Church and are about to open a new one. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us because we need to hear your voice today. We need to hear your voice of assurance, your voice of peace and calm. As we've been praying in recent weeks, Lord, we need your guidance with every decision that we face. And we pray, O God, that you would use us in greater ways in the days to come. In even greater ways than you've used us here. In Jesus' name, amen need everybody to have a Bible in hand. If you didn't bring your Bible with you today, please remember to bring it with you next week, next Sunday, as we meet for the first time at the Ralph Baker School. We want to start off right by having Bibles in hand. Amen? Digging into God's Word, just like we have faithfully done every week here in this location. Make sure you have your Bibles, kids as well. I think uh, those handouts were given. I believe we have a few extras in the lobby. Uh, Maybe, Alan, you have a full charge on your battery there on your chair? Why don't you grab some extra handouts? If you need a handout, Alan will get those to you. And uh, kids especially, we want to make sure you fill in those blanks, write down some notes along the way. That will help you remember some of what God is teaching us through his word today. So just raise your hand if you need one of those handouts. And we are opening to the book of Esther, chapter 4. Esther, chapter 4, you'll find this on page 491 if you're borrowing one of those blue Bibles. Page 491, Esther, chapter 4. I'm calling this message today for such a time as this. My wife team teaches over at Victor Valley Christian School. Uh, she teaches on Thursdays and Fridays, and her team teacher teaches on Mondays through Wednesdays. Uh, her team teacher, Julie, also is a pastor's wife, and so they make a great team teaching the second grade class. And I happened to be popping in their classroom about a month ago, and her partner teacher, Julie, was teaching. And I overheard something. I was just in that classroom probably for 45 seconds. But I overheard Julie say something while she was teaching the Bible lesson to the kids in the class that day. She said, When we talk about Bible stories, we don't use the term Bible stories in this class. Because they're not just stories. They are truths. So in this classroom, we talk about Bible truths. And I thought to myself, man, that's really good, isn't it? Bible truths. And so when we talk about Bible stories in sermons or in Bible studies here at First Christian Church, remember that when we talk about a Bible story, we're talking about a Bible truth. And so when I share with you today the story of Queen Esther, we are sharing with you a Bible story, but remember that it is a Bible truth. It can't be lumped in with Aladdin. It can't be lumped in with cars. It can't be lumped in with Toy Story. Those are beautifully told stories, but they're fiction. When we talk about Bible stories, they're grounded in reality. They are Bible truths. This is one of my favorite. Bible truths and all of Scripture. One of my favorite Bible stories, the story of Esther. I've taught on it several times over the years here at First Christian Church, and, and I really believe that the Lord was guiding me to this passage to share with you today. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 4 in just a couple minutes, but let me give a, just a the quick backstory leading up to chapter 4. Many of you uh, remember the story of Queen Esther. In chapter 1, we're introduced to the king of Persia. His name was Xerxes. He was king of Persia, the most powerful country in the world, and his queen's name was Vashti. And in chapter 1, Queen Vashti rebelled against one of King Xerxes' orders. He asked her to do something, and she said, I refuse to do it. And because she rebelled, King Xerxes decided to give her the royal boot. He kicked her out of her position of queen of Persia. And so we get to the end of chapter 1. And we have King Xerxes as a single man on the throne with no queen. We get to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, King Xerxes was tired of always being a, a groomsman, but never a groom. He was single for too long in his own mind, and so he decided he needed a queen. And so he sent out his most trusted officials into all the land of Persia to find the most beautiful young maidens in all the country. And so they brought in all of these beautiful young maidens as eligible bachelorettes for the king. It was the ultimate reality show bachelor where the king of the most powerful nation on earth was looking from all of these beautiful ladies for the one who he would name queen. And most of you remember how the story goes. There was a young lady there in the capital city of Susa in the nation of Persia by the name of Esther. And Esther pleased the king more than any others And he put the crown on her head. Esther became queen of Persia. Esther's cousin Mordecai had raised her. We're not told what happened to her parents, but evidently they had died. And her older cousin Mordecai had raised her. And he releases her into the palace and tells her, don't tell anyone that you are a Jew. Because they may come against you if they realize your ethnic origin. So she, is a young Jewish girl, becomes queen of Persia. We get into chapter 3. We're introduced to a scoundrel by the name of Haman. Haman had some run-ins with Esther's cousin Mordecai, and he hated Mordecai with a passion. And so he decided one day he was going to wipe the earth of Mordecai's existence. He was going to kill him. But he wasn't going to be satisfied just to kill Mordecai. He decided that he would kill everyone in Mordecai's family and exterminate every last Jew, man, woman, and child in the whole nation of Persia. And he tricks King Xerxes into making a new command, a new edict, saying that on the 13th day of the 12th month, every Jew in the kingdom would be exterminated. And so we read in chapter 3, that Haman had this order that he passed. In chapter 3, verse 13, it's described this way. Letters were sent by couriers to each of the royal provinces telling the officials to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old, women and little children, and plunder their possessions on a single day, the 13th day of Adar, the 12th month. So copies of Haman's edict were posted all across the kingdom, and that's where we pick up in verse 1 of Esther chapter 4. Say amen if you're there. A little bit louder if you mean it. All right, that's good stuff. Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter the king's gate. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathach sent out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to put into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathach went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king, has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception is that for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go into the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will do the same as you. We will fast. And when this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and he carried out all of Esther's instructions. May God bless us as we study his word. For such... A time as this. For such a time as this. Six of the most famous words in the entire book of Esther. It had been a month since King Xerxes had summoned Esther into his presence. Esther knew that even though she was the queen, the law was clear. If she just gallivanted, just strolled into the king's inner courtroom without having first been summoned by the king, the law was very clear. She was to be immediately put to death. And so there she is being asked by Mordecai to go into the king's presence even though she hadn't been summoned by her husband in over a month. She knew what the law stated, that she would be a dead woman if she defied and disrespected the king by going in without him summoning her. So she was scared to do what Mordecai had asked her to do. She didn't want to suffer. She didn't want to die. But Mordecai's words won her over, as he said in verses 13 and 14, "...do not think that because you were in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time... Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And then we read these now famous words, and who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. This past week, I spent a lot of time in prayer. I spent a lot of time in prayer because I wanted the message that I share with you today to be fitting for this occasion. I want it to be the message that God wanted me to share with you today. And I hope and I pray that this message is just that. I've been standing on this stage on Sunday mornings preaching God's word to you for over 20 years. And this is my final Sunday on this stage preaching to you So believe me, this is a big deal to me. This is a very big deal to me. I really want this message to be God's message. Over the past 20 years, I have preached and taught out of the book of Esther, I figure somewhere around a half a dozen times. But there's something that stood out to me this last week as I dove into this great book, something that I don't remember ever noticing before. And it has to do with Haman's edict, In chapter 3, once again in Esther 3.13, this order from Haman was, quote, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old, women and children, and plunder their possessions on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month. And those words, as I was studying this past week, those four words, destroy, kill, annihilate, and plunder, stood out to me in a way they hadn't in the past. And one of those little light bulbs went off in my head that many of you have experienced this when you're studying God's Word, and you may be reading a passage that you've read a hundred times. You may be reading a passage you've heard dozens of sermons preached from. And all of a sudden, on one specific day, and one specific moment, for whatever reason God chooses, in His perfect timing, the little light bulb goes off and you see something that somehow you had missed in the past. These four words stood out to me. Destroy, kill, annihilate, and plunder. And the little light bulb said, hmm, that sounds familiar. That sounds a lot like what Jesus says in John t- chapter 10, verse 10. In John 10, Jesus is saying that he is the good shepherd. You remember that passage, right? He loves his sheep. He takes care of his sheep. And in John 10.10, 10, he says, "Quote: The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let me ask you, in that parable of the good shepherd, who is the thief that Jesus is talking about? Who's the thief? You could certainly make the case in the immediate context. It's the robber that breaks into the sheep pen to steal those sheep that don't belong to him. But I think we all know in the broader context of that parable Jesus is telling, the thief is Satan himself, is it not? He comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. So follow me on this. Haman, in the book of Esther, is a henchman of Satan. And in the book of Esther, as a henchman of Satan, by his own admission, he comes to destroy, to kill, and annihilate God's people physically and to plunder their goods on a single day. But Satan's henchmen today take it a big step further, don't they? Satan's henchmen today come to steal and to kill and to destroy the souls, not just the physical bodies like Haman did in Esther's day, but to destroy the souls of those whom God desires to save. And they don't just do it one day on the 13th day of the 12th month. They aim to do it every single day. And so Haman is a henchman of Satan in the book of Esther. And there are many henchmen of Satan at work today. Haman only had the power to destroy, kill, and annihilate people physically, but Satan works to destroy, kill, and annihilate people spiritually today. He works to rob people of grace, does he not? He works to kill people's hope. We see it all the time, people deciding to commit suicide in seemingly record numbers, people giving up, people getting depressed and discouraged seemingly in record numbers. Satan wants to destroy people's chance to go to heaven. So just like in Esther's day, God is looking for followers of His to believe in their heart of hearts that God has raised them up for such a time as this. God is looking for followers of His who have that firm conviction that just like Esther, we need to take a stand against what Satan is aiming to do to steal, to kill, and to destroy The souls of those in our community. And just like in Esther's day, he is looking for his followers to take a stand and say, no more. If I perish, I perish. But I will not stand by idly and allow Satan and his henchmen to wreak havoc in my community. I will not sit by idly and sit on my hands and allow Satan to do whatever the heck he wants to do in the lives of people who are lost and dying like sheep without a shepherd. I cannot sit idly by. Jesus is looking for Esthers in our day who will take a stand for such a time as this. That's good food for thought. As our church makes the move this next weekend to the Ralph Baker School, there's a really important question that we need to answer Some might call it the elephant in the room. We need to answer this question. Why are we moving? Why are we moving? I suppose there are 101 possible answers to that question. The drive up George Boulevard is really ugly. How many of you drove up George Boulevard today and saw the new graffiti? As soon as you turn on George Boulevard, now that front... Guard shack is plastered in graffiti. It must have happened last night. I didn't see it on Friday. Halfway up George Boulevard, one of the buildings on the left-hand side of the drive, covered in graffiti. And so once again, as I got to this building, I called the 24-hour Victorville Graffiti Hotline and explained to them exactly where the graffiti is, and they'll be out sometime this week to yet again paint over it. Some might say that's why we need to move, because the drive up George Boulevard is really scary Just had someone tell me in the last two weeks, yeah, that's a scary drive. I tried to come to your church once. My wife said I can't do that anymore. We suspected it for years. Someone flat out told me that in the last two weeks. Some might say, well, we need to move because our church isn't growing in this location. That's true. Some might say we're not getting many first-time visitors. That's also true. Our AC is lousy. Yeah, we all know that's true. Our offerings are low. The drive to get here is too long. There's a federal penitentiary with 70 miles of razor wire wrapped around the perimeter of it, just a half mile up the road. And the list goes on and on and on. There's many, many reasons someone might give as to why we're moving. But ultimately, church, there's only one answer that matters. There's really only one answer that matters. Why are we moving? Because, amen. Because our staff and our elders here at this church that God has entrusted to lead us believe that God said so. We believe that God said so. Now let me be clear. None of the elders or staff heard the voice of God. We weren't laying in our beds at night looking up at the ceiling and all of a sudden, woo! The light shines and little clouds are floating on our ceiling of our bedroom. And all of a sudden, the voice of God speaks like a Damascus Road experience. None of us heard the voice of God. None of us saw a vision. None of us had a call from Roma Downey from Touched by an Angel and says, I'm sent from God and I have a message for you. That was a pretty terrible Roma Downey impersonation, wasn't it? None of us were going through Victorville one day and saw Clarence jump off a bridge. And bells started ringing and he told us what God's message was for us, just like George Bailey. None of us saw those things. We didn't have a visit from Gabriel. We didn't hear a voice of God. We didn't see a vision. But we believe that God was clearly orchestrating the steps to make it crystal clear that he was opening a door widely and saying, I want you to go through this door. Once again, there was no voice of God that said, I want you to move to the Ralph Baker School on the corner of El and Mojave Drive starting in September of the year 2019. We didn't hear that, but God was clearly, clearly opening doors. You see, each of us has a relationship with God. Each of us as leaders in this church talks with God regularly and we believe God has been clearly leading our church in this direction and He opens so many doors to prove it. The Lord has been so amazing over these last eight months as we've been making our way toward this move. God has been so gracious. He has never minimized the impact that First Christian Church has had in this location over the past 25 years. We felt that God was doing quite the opposite. He was saying to us, you have been in one of the worst locations imaginable for a church to do great outreach. There are no neighbors, but we have felt so clearly that God has said, well done for these last 25 years, in a difficult circumstance, in a horrible location to reach neighbors. You guys have done some amazing ministry. Well done, First Christian Church. God was in no way downplaying what has taken place in this building over the last 25 years. But at the same time, God was clearly calling us to take a leap of faith and move on from here to make a greater impact for Christ in our community. Even this past week, there were more indications of this. We get these pretty much every week these days. So this last Wednesday, it was the third Wednesday in a row, I did a donut-run evangelism trip. And so as we had our our group gathered here on Wednesday evening, I threw it out to the group, who wants to do donut-run evangelism? Four hands went up. Four of our teenage boys wanted to do it. And I pulled them aside before we left the building, and I said, you know, be honest with me. You're not just going because you want a donut, right? And they assured me, no, they didn't just want a donut, but they'd like one. And so anyway... We head up the road to Lee's Donuts, and we get the donuts, and and a few of them grab the monster drinks, and then we head off to the corner of 395 and Palmdale Road, the Walmart center there. And we're out in front of one of these little strip malls as part of that Walmart center, and every store there in that little stretch was a chain store. And I told the boys, now normally chain stores don't allow us to put those invitations on their counter. They're a little more strict than the mom and pop stores. But let's give it a shot anyway. And the boys disperse and we go in and in teams of at least two into these stores. And one after the other, they said, sure, you can put it on our counter. It's like, praise God, he's moving here. Praise God. And one of my favorites, I had Aiden Rader with me. Aiden, waved to us. All right, he's my little evangelist on Wednesday night. So we pick the tough one. We go into the, this is not for the faint of heart. We go into the beauty supply store. And so Aiden and I, man, we're ready to go. We're doing some evangelism. We go into the beauty supply store. And so I show the invitation to him, and I'm telling just a very short version of our story. For the past 25 years, First Christian Church has been on the outskirts of town. I said, we give away thousands of backpacks over the years to low-income kids, and we do a lot of great work there from the outskirts of town. But now, and she interrupts me. I say, but now, and she says, but now you're moving to the center of town where the people are. And I just wanted to stagger backwards and say, she gets it. She gets it. And I'm telling you, as the weeks go by, more and more people in our community get it. They know that we've been out here making a difference. They know what's been going on, to some extent at least, out here in this facility. And I am so excited that our community is catching the vision and sees that we don't just talk the talk about ministering to our neighbors and being in the community serving them, but we're going into the community. Even yesterday, we had a team of at least 30 with our blue shirts on, and we were out there cleaning up the neighborhoods, and it was awesome. We were cleaning up the dirt lots around the school, up against Mojave, down Elevado, into that first housing track that has 160 homes there. We were ministering by cleaning up trash and praying over those neighborhoods. And yesterday, just my little group had two different people come up and say, when's your next cleanup? We want to join you. I didn't expect that. I told everybody, have those little invitation cards ready in your pocket just in case God opens the door because we're doing his work today. And we are handing these things out at garage sales. And, and we're that second one that asked about it, they stopped their vehicle in the middle of Elevado Road. To flag me down across the street and ask me to come over to their car window and tell them when the next cleanup day is. Our community gets it. That we're here to serve our community and point them to Jesus Christ. So, our community gets it. But, even so, for many of us, including myself, this move is bittersweet. Right? It's bittersweet. I imagine there were some tears on the drive to church this morning. And when I say it's bittersweet, believe me, Christine and I understand that. All four of our daughters have grown up in this church. The very first Sunday, each of our four daughters was in church. It was here in this building. All four of our daughters have been born into this church and been raised in this church. And this is the only church building they know. All four of my daughters have been up here on this stage as part of a parent-baby dedication, and they've been dedicated to Christ in this church and in this building. Three of my four daughters were baptized right there in that baptistry to my left. So when I say that this move is bittersweet, believe me, I understand. I understand that it's not easy for many of us. For the past 25 years, this building has been ground zero for some great ministry. We've baptized 581 souls. Amen? And counting. Alex right here in the front row is going to be baptized in just a few minutes. I don't know for sure, but my best guess, and this is a conservative guess, is that over the course of the years, our Tuesday Food Pantry has dispersed more than 30,000 pounds of food to low-income families. (laughs) 30,000 pounds, that's a lot of food. We've blessed low-income families with more than 5,000 backpacks filled with school supplies. Thousands of lives have been touched by the ministries that have taken place right here in this building over the last 25 years. Have we made an impact in this community, in this location? The answer to that question is absolutely. That's never been in question. There is no doubt that we have made an impact in our community right here in this location. You and I, together with the Lord's blessing, have made an impact from this very challenging place. And I believe God is saying to our church, well done, church. Well done, First Christian. But God, once again, has made it so clear that we cannot settle for the status quo. What He's been doing here over the past 25 years, I believe, has been preparing you and me for the years to come. And as amazing as the ministry has been here in the last 25 years, I believe that God will allow us to do even greater ministry in the next five years in our new location. God has been working and preparing us for this very season. There's a reason He brought us a buyer for this church two years ago, a buyer for this building two years ago, when no one else wanted to buy it. And that buyer came in and paid full price and let us stay rent free. There's a reason that happened. There's a reason that God brought us Patrick and Amber this last year to help direct our our worship ministries and our music ministries. And they haven't even reached the age of 30 yet. You may not know this. God used them in their last church to help that church move through a time of transition. Not much different than the time we're experiencing now. They come having been equipped and trained to a large extent to help us navigate this next chapter. There's a reason that a brand new school in a strategic location was available for rent at just the right time. There's a reason I was introduced to the superintendent of that school district in February. There's a reason that the director of facilities is a strong Christian, the main one that we've been working with in recent months. There's a reason that you are here today. There's a reason that God has brought you in to be a part of First Christian Church. God has been behind all of it. God has been behind all of it. And as you wrestle and you struggle with a difficult change... Oh, you've got to believe in your heart of hearts that God was in this whole process. You've got to believe in your heart of hearts that God has you a part of First Christian Church and a part of Impact Christian Church for a reason. You've got to believe that you were here in this place on this day to hear this message and to be given this charge by Almighty God for such a time as this.